This is Puck Year, New Zealand's hockey podcast with hosts Logan Swinkles and Joe Jury, bringing you the best stories and interviews from down under. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Puck Here. Uh, on this week's podcast, we're talking to Steve Dangle about his brand new book, This Team is Ruining My Life, But I Love Them. Um, but first, I want to talk about the tragic events that took place in Christchurch last week. Now, I would like to dedicate this episode to those incredible New Zealanders that lost their lives on March 15th, 2019 in a place of worship a mosque where they should feel safe while practicing their Muslim faith. Now, I also want to dedicate it to the brave first responders and citizens who did everything they could to help save lives that day or make those affected feel safe uh, in a time when they needed it the most. Um, you know, watching those events unfold from Sydney was heartbreaking. Uh, I was live streaming News Hub's coverage all afternoon. And I just sat there trying to do some work in preparation uh, for the upcoming HF tournaments. But all I could think about was Christchurch and the horrible scenes that took place that day. It left me feeling absolutely you know, devastated and shaken. And I mean that physically. I could, I could feel my hands shaking like when I'm you know, holding the remote. I just didn't know what to do or how to respond. You know, in that moment, I I just felt completely useless. You know, um, you know, over the years, I've worked in that news hub newsroom during several moments of national crisis, and up until this point, all had been due to natural disasters. Now, those days, they're the hardest to work through because you have to try your best to fight back those tears and put on a brave front for the nation uh, while trying to accurately depict what's going on as it unfolds. Whether you're, in, whether you're on the camera or not, it's the same. Now, I know how hard it can be to hold back those emotions during these moments. So I want to commend my colleagues uh, in the New Zealand news media for the admirable way they went about doing their job on what was a dark day for the whole country. Um, last but not least, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. I mean, what can you say? You know, you're an incredibly strong woman and I thank you for stepping up when the nation needed you the most, you know, showing both decisive action, but also great empathy. Um, you know, it takes just an absolutely amazing leader to be able to do all of that. Um, and just, I don't know how you summon the strength, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm just, I am so glad you're our prime minister right now. Um, you know, we have seen that the hockey world is also standing by the people at Christchurch um, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Calgary Flames and Ottawa Senators organizations choosing to observe a moment of silence in honor of the victims uh, that were so mercilessly gunned down while praying. There may have been more, but uh, those are the ones that I've seen um, watching, watching the games. Now, that mean everything to me, knowing that on the other side of the world, you know, our family and friends in hockey were thinking of New Zealand. Now, we say that things like this don't happen in New Zealand, that this is a safe place for everyone. But the sad reality is, is that this is why Christchurch was a target. We're no safer than Manchester, Paris, Quebec City, Las Vegas, Orlando, Sydney, or anywhere else in the world that celebrates love and freedom. 
it's just it's sad that I can list that many cities like that who have been targets in the past. Uh, this just happens far, far too often. Now, I'm not going to get into a debate about extremism here. Uh, this is definitely not the right platform for such a discussion. But New Zealand is no different than the rest of the world. We, we know that now. Um, and we will learn from this and we'll be a stronger nation than we already are. So stay strong, Christchurch. My heart hurts for you right now. Uh, you're an unbelievably resilient community. You know, you've been through so much this decade, far more than you should ever have to endure. But that doesn't stop you. That doesn't, it doesn't break you. You just get back up and you rebuild. I, that's, oh, that's amazing. Now, I love that about Christchurch and its people. So please get behind your local Muslim community and make them feel welcome. You know, New Zealand is their home too. And they should be safe in that home. So Kia kaha Christchurch. Um, you know, we love you. Uh, okay. Um, so, I, you know, back to hockey. Um Last week, I interviewed Steve Dangle during the first intermission of the Leafs uh, being embarrassed at home for the second game running, this time at the hands of the Chicago Blackhawks. Honestly, I felt like we time-traveled back to 2015, maybe even 2010, you know, when that kind of thing was a regular occurrence. So Steve has just released his book, This Team is Ruining My Life, but I love them. And while that team is the Toronto Maple Leafs, our discussion was largely about navigating the media landscape when you're young and how he's become a successful sports personality. As someone who also works in sports media, uh, I find his career path both fascinating and inspiring. And Steve is a guy who supported me along the way too. You know, back when I released my documentary on Wayne Simmons and his charity efforts in Scarborough, Ontario, Steve actually gave me a shout out on his LFR from December 21st 2014, encouraging his fans to watch. Wayne Simmons, he often comes up in these videos and on the podcast. I've never met him, but he did grow up in my neighborhood, and everyone has some sort of Wayne Simmons story. And one of the recurring themes of those stories is Simmons giving back to the neighborhood. A fellow by the name of Logan Swinkles, hope I didn't butcher his name, made a documentary on such efforts by Wayne Simmons. It also features guys like Drew Doughty, Devontae smith Pelly, and Tyler Sagan. So if you want to watch that, get yourself in the holiday spirit, you go right ahead. For the record, he didn't butcher my name at all. So I guess this podcast is my way of saying thanks. Uh, without further ado, here's my interview, Steve Dangle Glenn. Enjoy. Uh, by the time uh, this podcast comes out, your book, This Team is Ruining My Life, But I Love Them, will finally be in stores. So what thoughts are running through your head knowing that this long creative process is winding down, winding down and now you're just waiting for reactions? Well, how appropriate that we're doing this interview while the Leafs are down 4 nothing to Chicago. Yeah, I didn't want to bring uh, that up. <laughs> I'll bring it up. They stink. <laughs> um, but, and they're ruining my life. Uh, you know what? It's, I, I, I feel like the older you get, the quicker time passes. And the past two weeks or so, with regard to the book... Uh, they're going by so slowly. I feel like I'm in the first grade again. Um, I'm so excited for this thing to come out and to share it with people. And um, I just can't wait. Like it's, it's been a humbling experience too. Yeah. Because what I've been, what I've been finding out from everyone who's already gotten the book because their pre-order arrived early or whatever 
Um, they're all faster readers than me. I thought I thought my wife was a fast reader, but it turns out I'm just slow. Um, like I'm amazed that people are already done it. It's hilarious that something that took me nearly two years can be consumed in less than a day. Wow. Let's see, I'm I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, I told you before, like I'm flying to Mexico soon, um, and yeah, I'll probably I might be done with it before takeoff is finished. Um, but when you began the long process of writing this book, what was that transition like for you, going from you know hockey blogs to a more long form style like that, where you're now telling the Steve Dangle story? Oh well, that was pretty humbling too. Um, you know, it's it's a lot easier with jump cuts. <laughs> but um it there there's so many things you take for granted because um you know I on the podcast and in my videos I rely so much on like tone and volume obviously and yeah. and facial expressions and hand gestures and you don't really get to use any of that in writing so you got to find new ways to create it and um you got to be entertaining as well as you know factual and it's surprisingly difficult um to remember your life <laughs> I, I discovered you know um i've been through a lot or er, er, done a lot had a lot of fun but to remember it all in enough detail um that the story's worth telling is is a challenge and, like i had to lean on a lot of people and and ask people, uh, you know, how do you remember this happening and, and things like that? And then I would get these like fits of inspiration where I would remember the entire day of something I, I couldn't even remember the day before. Um, so it, it was, uh, it was, it was tough. And like, it was, it was humbling too, uh, because, the editors at ECW Press did such a good job because, uh, you know, I was I was writing long form because, you know, I felt like I was in high school again. I didn't know if I would have enough words. <laughs> and I think everything is so interesting. And I got into the habit of listing every person I've ever met. So the, the humbling part was the hacking and flashing of the book. Oh, yeah. You know, I think I think about 130 thousand words were written um and that's not even including stuff that was like deleted in drafts and uh like a solid twenty five thousand words were cut something like that um you know i i submitted 110 we got it down to 105 i fine-tuned it somehow got it back up to like 115 <laughs> and we got it down to 104 um so it was it was an exercise in being able to take criticism, you know, because yeah, because sometimes less is more. Amazing, that's uh, that's so cool. Because like uh, for the longest time, I've been wanting to uh, write a book as well. Um, I'm still coming on the topic that I really want to write about, but I think it's so cool that you know you've been given this opportunity. And uh, I I heard recently on the Thirty One Thoughts podcast, Elliot Friedman called you the king of self-promotion about this book. So how does it feel to be anointed such a high honor by your colleagues? Uh, I hope he's just chirping. Like that's, uh, I, I didn't want to be like annoying with this or anything, but I, I don't know. Like I got, you know, a lot, I'm fortunate to have a lot of people following me on my Instagram and 
Twitter and YouTube. And I worked for, you know, 20 months uh, on this book. Why wouldn't I promote it? Yeah. I wrote it because I want people to read it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, every, everyone, uh, everyone should join the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I didn't want to be obnoxious with it. And if I am, I don't know how sorry I am. Because I worked really hard on it. And I want people to read it. I think people will like it. Hey man, I'm right there with you in the kingdom. Um, but say, yeah, let's say you're the king of self-promotion here. Let's say this is your shot to sell your book to Kiwis and Aussies that are listening. So what is the focus of your book and why should hockey fans down under pick up a copy? Right. Uh, well, the book is called This Team is Ruining My Life, But I Love Them. And if you've ever had that feeling about your team in any sport, I think you'll relate to the book. Um, there's little pieces of Canadiana in the book, but I think you'll still be able to appreciate it. Um, you know, if you live in another part of the world, um, if you're not a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs, first of all, what a blessed life you've led. Uh, second of all, like it, it's not obnoxiously leafy. Um, there's stuff where I talk about like my childhood and going to Leafs games and stuff like that. Um, but I, you know, most Leaf fans don't talk about the team like the sun shines out of them because uh, most Leafs fans understand that it certainly doesn't. So <laughs> it's basically about uh, my career path, which I've never heard of, where I basically started making YouTube videos about a sports team and uh, I managed to turn it into a career where I'm able to make a living off of uh, just making YouTube videos, my podcast, and I even got hired at uh, Rogers Sportsnet, which is, you know, the the biggest uh, sports broadcaster in in the country, mm. and uh, I I would guess the biggest sports broadcaster in all of hockey. So, if that sounds interesting to you, good because I wrote a book about it, <laughs> and it's called "This Team Is Ruining My Life." Yeah, your your career path uh, definitely is uh, unconventional uh, compared to, say, some of your peers at Sportsnet. Um, I was wondering, have you ever been met with uh, resistance because you're a so-called, you know, basement blogger rather than a more traditionally trained sports reporter? Oh, more than I can even remember. Um, you know, it, it, it was it was enough convincing people that you know, uh, me screaming in my bedroom about a hockey team was a good idea to bring on board or, or, you know, uh, it, it, it was, it was like YouTube getting people to buy into YouTube, which was like a multi-billion dollar business many, many years ago. And sometimes it feels like the mainstream has only caught on the past two, three years mm. or something like that. It's absurd. Um, you know, it's such a powerful, uh, powerful website, powerful medium. Um, you know, I feel, I feel a little bit like uh, Howard Beale from uh, the movie Network in 1976. This tube is the most awesome goddamn force in the whole godless world. This tube can make or break Pope's prime ministers. You know, it, it, it was amazing how long it took. Um, to get people on board with just the platform. And then once they were on board with that, then I had to be like, by the way, I make videos in my parents' bedroom. So <laughs> I, I was, I was met or sorry, not my parents' bedroom, my parents' house, my bedroom. Um, it, it's, <laughs> That's a different it story. Took, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. It it took a lot of uh, a lot of convincing. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, it seems to me, it seems like in the past twelve months, your broadcast career has really shot up, which uh, is inspiring to say the least. Uh, now, trade deadline day was a big one for you. How nerve wracking was that being part of Sportsnet's coverage? Oh, it was terrifying. Um, you know, I, I'm in a studio, and Carolyn Cameron's there, and she's great. And I, I sort of dubbed our studio the kids' table because, uh, you know, I was 30 at the trade deadline and she's still in her 20s. But then Doug McLean comes in, and I'm not scared of him, but I'm like, hey, you know, that's Doug McLean, you know? <laughs> and then Brian Burke walks in for his segment, and I'm like, man, a few years ago, I was yelling at, at him, calling him an idiot because he was GM of the Leafs and they were losing. Um, you know, so it was a bit of a surreal experience, and my heart, pretty much beat out of its chest and to top it off about 30 seconds before we went to air they discovered uh, doug mcclain's microphone didn't work so they took mine and gave it to him and so i said all right so like i'm just not in the segment and they go no no here and they hand me a stick mic <laughs> and so <laughs> i'm getting ready to go to air and I'm, I'm like i don't even know what to say i'm terrified already and now i gotta i gotta hold this i gotta type one-handed well, on the air, it was, it was terrifying, but I, I got through it with only minor, minor scarring and bruising. Yeah, and then following that, there was also the Leafs game that night. You put out uh, an extended LFR video before you even went to bed, and now I assume you do actually sleep. So just how much coffee did you have that day? Oh, I think that was the three coffee day. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to cut myself off at three um, because I find I just get too angry. <laughs> <laughs> if I have more than three, my I try to make my daily max uh, two. Um, you know, you just do what you got to do to get through a season, right? Like today, I'm exhausted, and it's going to be another tough one. I got to make a video uh, after the game is done. It doesn't sound like it's going to be too bloody in depth on account of they're down four nothing after one stupid period. Um, but um, you know, I I I try really hard not to have the mentality. I had in my early twenties where I'll sleep when I'm dead because, uh, I think you just do garbage work that way. So mm. if you got to have a couple busy days, that's fine, but then catch up on your sleep debt because, uh, it'll catch your up. body always collects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, that is for sure. Now, uh, trade deadline day is not the only TV you've done this season. You know, I've, I've seen you cover on Tim and said, you're also part of, um, sports nets, ice surfing, but from your experiences there, what do you think are some of the key things you've learned like about yourself and about broadcasting that no amount of school or training could have taught you? Oh my goodness. Um, it's just a lot of, in school, I don't think it's properly emphasized enough, uh, how much of work, and this isn't just sports media, but how much of work is just dealing with people and, you know, knowing how to deal with people. And, and I don't mean like how to handle people when they're a jerk. Like, I mean, like pick up on when you're being a jerk, <laughs> pick up on when you're being, you know, inconsiderate and stuff like that. But um, also just how helpful it is to not necessarily specialize. Um, so in school, you know, there were the camera kids, there were the audio people, there were the writers there were the people who just wanted to be on camera. There were the people who wanted to be the directors. 
the truly successful people I've met know how to do a little bit of everything. They're not great at everything, but they know how to do a little bit of everything because they know if they understand the process, they'll do better work. Um, nothing's more annoying to an editor than someone telling an editor how long something takes. <laughs> you don't know that. Oh yeah, I know what you're Man, talking about. Edit- editing takes however long it takes. Do you want it done fast and bad or slow and good? Because those those are the two options, binary, pretty much. Um, so if, if you understand everyone's role, even if it's not one you're doing, you'll do the best work and be a better coworker. Yeah, no, so uh, speaking of editing, you've actually taught yourself how to video edit. How daunting was that when you first started out? Uh, well, it was really difficult because, uh, I mean, it wasn't even just the software I was using, which to start was Windows Movie Maker. <laughs> um, it was it was the fact that, you know, I was on my parents' internet. It was so slow. Uh, I think I started making videos on a computer um, I had gotten from my godmother seven years prior. The fan, on, you know, in the computer tower sounded like a motorcycle. <laughs> um, it was just so bad. Uh, the, the daunting thing was was getting videos up in a in a man in a manner where people would actually care about the game I was talking about the night before. And now I can pretty much do it in my sleep. I don't even watch the video as I'm editing it anymore, I'm able to just look at the sound waves yeah. and cut there. And, th- and then I, I do a quick proof watch to make sure I didn't make any mistakes. Um, but it, you know, it took, took over a decade to get there. <laughs> it's a long process, man. I know, I know what it's like with video editing. Um, but in your, say looking at your LFRs and on your podcasts, um, personally, I really enjoy the way that you, you look at the game and the way you think about how a play develops or why a breakdown may have happened. Um, I'm sure back in the day, people might have just instantly, you know, discredited you thinking it was just, you know, nonsensical yelling and ranting. But uh, honestly, I, th- I feel like it's evolved from that a long time ago. So, you know, what advice would you give a hockey fan that wants to start looking at the game in a more like deeper manner? Um, I would say listen to a variety of people. You know, it's it's really easy to listen to the older pundits, but it, I think it's important to, you know, listen to how teenagers talk about the game and junior players, and um, you know, because because it, it's it's just different. The the way I I like to describe it is, um, you know, one time one time uh, when my grandfather my grandfather was babysitting, and something went wrong with the television. And, you know, I, I was still a kid. I was probably a preteen and we're both having a look at it. And he's asking me all these questions. And I ended up being the one who fixed the television. You know what my grandpa did when he was younger? He was a television repairman, <laughs> but like TVs changed, oh. they, they evolved. So, yeah. so it's, and my grandpa's a brilliant man, you know, so it, it was good to listen to, you know, you listen to older people they've had more experiences than you just straight up um, in most cases. But uh, for how to enjoy hockey, I I like, I like talking to the younger generation and reading writers 
reading writers that people vehemently disagree with is something I really enjoy mm. because even if I disagree with them as well, I'm like, well, there's that also, you know, there's, there's that opinion as well. Um, just to wrap up, uh, I see the, um, the leaves are back on, uh, your dogs, Iggy and Charlie, I would say are both internet famous in their own right. Uh, an old hockey buddy of mine was telling me about how his young daughter, she gets really excited every time she sees victory puppies on their TV. And, uh, so which one out of Iggy and Charlie do you think handles that limelight better? And are there any egos around the dangle household now? Uh, Charlie for sure. Loves the camera time. Uh, <laughs> You know, he, we got him from, uh, from a shelter and I, and you know, he did time in the clink. So <laughs> he's, he's not afraid of anything, uh, not even a camera. And he understands when it's camera time, he gets food. Whereas Iggy's a little shy. He, he likes getting the food and getting out of there. And the other problem Iggy has is when there's food in his presence, he drools. <laughs> and so sometimes I'll have to I'll accidentally step in a big pile of drool right before I start shooting the video. So mm. Charlie's the seasoned vet there. He's, <laughs> he's just older. Iggy will get there. Iggy will get there. But Charlie's the vet right now. Nice. Well, Steve, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Uh, congrats, by the way, on your book already making the Globe and Mail's bestseller list. Like, that's unreal before it's even released. And uh, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, it's crazy. That's Basically, Canada's version of the New York Times bestseller list. It's not the same. <laughs> I looked up uh, how many books you got to sell to be a New York Times bestseller. I'm not quite there, but I'm I'm pretty darn proud. Thanks for having me on. No worries, mate. Take care. You too. I think it's really cool how Steve Dangle has gone from hockey YouTuber to podcaster to a sports broadcaster to now being a best-selling author. Uh, by the way, the old hockey buddy of mine that I was referring to during the interview was none other than Botany Swarm and New Zealand Ice Blacks legend Ian Wanamaker, who is a long-suffering Leafs fan himself and originally from the GTA area. So he was excited that I was interviewing Dangle again. So I hope you enjoyed that, buddy. Uh, now, if our chat piqued your interest enough to buy his book, it is now available online uh, from Booktopia for like $25, totally worth it. I think it's like 21% off at the moment. Uh, you can also get it from the book depository. Now, I, before we wrap this up, I got to give a brief callback to last week's podcast. Uh, during my interview with Kelly Nelson, we were talking about her team at the Kiwi Masters and I had a total brain fart uh, by calling Jaden Skipper, Jade Skipper. Um, that was definitely my... I'm Ron Burgundy moment. Uh, I had to, I had a typo in my script, which is all my own fault. And I normally would pick it up. Now it's probably not a big deal, but speaking as someone who consistently has their name spout wrong, I believe it's important and respectful to get someone's name right. So shout out to Jaden. Uh, you're a big part of the stampede family in Queenstown. Now, that's it for Puckier this week. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or you know wherever you get your podcasts. We've got more and more awesome guests coming up soon. Uh, and we're actually going to be trying out a few video podcasts too. So look out for that. But next week will be our interview with New Zealand Ice Ferns head coach, Rachel Park. I can't wait for you guys to hear that one. See ya. Puckier, it's New Zealand's home for hockey. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or with your favorite podcast app for the latest episodes. Follow the team on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PuckYearNZ. And for your fix of hockey news, go to puckyear.nz.